Friends, let us pray together. Gracious God, we give you thanks for this chance to worship you this day. Pray that as we contemplate your word for us in these ancient texts, that you would speak and breathe something new into us today. Amen. I don't know about you, but my expectation for sermons and those who preach them is a bit of a combination. It's a combination of, of teacher, of historian, of preacher, a prophet, a poet, a storyteller, a mind reader even, and a stumbling fool along the road, pointing one way that might be forward or might be backward, depending on which direction you're headed. I grew up in a church with strong preachers. In fact, there were great expectations placed on those preachers, particularly in my childhood years and my teen years, because there was a Presbyterian retirement complex quite close. It was right near the church, and this meant that on any given Sunday, there were between six and eight retired clergy and their spouses in the congregation. I became friends with many of them. I shared about a couple of them a couple of weeks ago, but there were others too. I used to go to presbytery meetings with them. I've, I think you all know by now I was a little bit of a strange child. I would go to presbytery meetings with them in middle school and then in high school, and I would visit with them at church. And I, I spent a lot of time with these, with these folks. And I would often hear their critiques of our pastors and especially their preaching. They were never harsh, but almost always I would hear the admonition from these retired pastors and their spouses that preachers often try too hard. I wasn't quite sure what this meant, especially when I was 16 years old, but I heard it more than once. And when I hear something more than once, even when I was an adolescent, I try to listen. And I asked questions about this. What do you mean? One of the retired pastors was a stern man who had an intimidating posture and a commanding presence. He spoke with an accent. It was a vague accent that wasn't regionally or even ethnically specific, but rather the kind of accent that comes with position, uh, position or, or even like aristocracy. I don't know much about his past other than that he was a multi-generation Presbyterian pastor and he had preached for decades, even though I never did remember hearing one of his sermons. He was one of those people who went by five names at all times, you know, his first, middle, and last always, plus always Reverend Doctor at the beginning. I don't think I ever saw him without a necktie, and I know that I never saw him smile. He was stern, intimidating. And this was the man who said to me, preachers take themselves too seriously. I laughed when he said it which earned me a glare and a disapproving raising of the eyebrows. I didn't say anything after that. I, I waited, though. I hoped there was something more. And he said it again, as though I had interrupted him, even though he had made the statement and let it hang with a pause, like he was done speaking, before I laughed my apparently inappropriate laugh. Preachers take themselves too seriously, he said again. And that makes people take them too seriously. 
and not take the wonder of God seriously enough. He went on to explain that from his perspective, the best preachers draw less attention to themselves and are constantly telling and retelling the story of Jesus and the story of God. The preacher, he said, is to proclaim God's goodness and to remind the people of what they keep forgetting over and over and over again. Preachers overthink this, he said, and they find themselves standing between the people and God, and that's never a good place to be. About a decade after this first conversation with him, and after having similar conversations in the intervening years, my friend and mentor said to me, when you become a pastor, don't ever forget to remind yourself of God's goodness, because you too will forget. You can't remind the people of God's goodness if you've forgotten it yourself. The writer of Isaiah chapter 40 that Maddie and Susie read for us this morning knew what it was like to be with people who had forgotten God's goodness. People who were tired and who may have forgotten what it was that they were following. And even worse, may have struggled to look backward to see God's goodness but we're also likely struggling to look forward, to see into the future a path where God's goodness would continue to be revealed. When we are tired, when we are sorrowful, when we are weary, we have trouble envisioning what will be, or at least our ability to envision the future is either clouded by unrealistic optimism or defeated pessimism. And in this chapter of Isaiah, after the people have been in exile, they've already been told by the prophet that God will bring them comfort and that there will be a path set forth for them for return to the promised land. They've, they've been told this, and still they seem to, have, seem to be having difficulty understanding. And I get it. And so the prophet looks at them and starts peppering questions. Susie read them for us today. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? Just last week, you might recall that we were going through a similar experience in Psalm 111, where the psalmist was reminding God's people of God's goodness. The psalmist could have asked these same questions. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you forgotten again? The prophet peppers these questions repeatedly throughout this morning's text. It almost feels like a bit of a berating. Come on, look at the stars. How do you think they got there? Who created these, the prophet asks. I think the tone is more creative than I'm making it out to be, more, more poetic than that, more encouraging and loving. The prophet points to creation, 
to remind the people that the God who placed the stars and calls them by name, and the God who renews the brokenhearted, and the God who does not faint or grow weary, and the God who is strong and mighty, this is the God we follow. This is the God we worship. This is the God who walks alongside us when we are mourning, when we are suffering, when we are weak, when we are at the end of our rope. This is the God who has written the past and who is writing our present and who will be written into our future because this is the God who is everlasting, the God who overcomes even death and the God whose goodness will overwhelm and recreate the sorrows and pain of a pandemic, political deviance, systemic racism, and white supremacy. The God who, lest we forget, has been bringing goodness and light even in the midst of evil and darkness. And the God who will renew us and strengthen us and the God who wants us to know and believe. The gospel writer Mark, like the other gospel writers, points us to that God. From the beginning of Mark's gospel though, he writes a little differently. He writes about the good news of what God is up to from the very beginning. And he says that through Jesus, this good news will be revealed and in rapid succession and and leaving much of the details to the imagination as he zips from story to story, he reveals more and more of who God is. In this morning's text, we are reminded of God's goodness and God's love for humanity. The the first thing that happens in this morning's gospel reading is that Jesus heals a woman. He heals a woman who is sick and in bed and has a household of people worried about her. The text is very straightforward. It's quick. He came and took her by the hand and he lifted her up and she's healed. This quick healing, though, is not just about the goodness of God and God's identity, but Mark shows that the goodness of God is wide beyond any limits we could place upon it. God's goodness, God's love is for all of creation, for all people. Regardless of their social status, their gender, or sex, Jesus will show throughout the Gospels over and over again that the breadth and the reach of God's goodness is beyond any limitation that you or I could place around it. God, we learn, will not be fenced in or fenced out. The text continues with further healings and transformations. Like the prophet Isaiah writing about God restoring those who are weak and who are faint and who are exhausted. Mark writes about people who are sick and who are overcome by demons. And once again, the disciples and the people from the city and all who come, including the demons, All of them recognize and proclaim the goodness of God. And Jesus acknowledges, yes, this is why I've come. I've come to bring this message, this message of good news, of gospel, this message of the God who will provide, the God who brings goodness, the God who loves you the God who heals, who redeems, who transforms, the God who has more work to do, more work to do in you, in me. And yes, this is the God we worship. 
This is the God we follow and the God we as a faith community are called to learn about and to seek. This is the God who continues to be revealed today in God's creative power, the God who continues to be revealed in your life. The Lord is the everlasting God, writes the prophet. Author Kellyanne Hall, in a writing inspired by Isaiah 40, writes, So to those of us who have God's word, to those of us who are the beloved of God, how can we hold any thought that who we are and what we do goes unnoticed? How can we think that God forgets our needs? What do we know about God? We are all still learning. God is still teaching. She goes on. God is the eternal, the everlasting, the creator of all things big and small. We will never wear God out, and we will never know the depths of God's divine wisdom. So, friends, we journey forth. We remind one another of God's goodness. We point one another, like my mentor said a strong preacher should do, and I would say and add, like each of us, humble seekers on the journey should do, we point one another to our sightings of God's goodness along the way, smiling into those dark moments, knowing that God is there too, and that God will bring God's goodness Have you not known? Have you not heard? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.